Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to our podcast where we cover business in the news and add our legal twist. My name is Nasser Pasha, and this time we're joined with a Star Wars expert, yeah. Matt Staub, right? You know, you've said that many t- <laughs> many different things for me. This was probably the one that's farthest from the truth. Yeah. Even like the, I'm trying to think some of the other ones you've said for me in the past, like makeup expert. I think I might be closer to that than, than Star Wars expert, <laughs> unfortunately. So I don't know how much I'll be able to offer on this, but... We'll see what happens. No, in fact, I'm pretty sure, well, we talked last week about covering this episode and you've only seen the old ones, which is forgivable because the new ones aren't as good and you know we can kind of get into that discussion, but it seems like you weren't too familiar with it. So I went ahead and got my own expert since I knew you would be, you'd be lacking. My good friend, Adris Permel, he's a filmmaker and uh, independent filmmaker in San Diego. Adris, are you there? Yes, I am. Nice. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. No problem. So, Dries, Star Wars, is it going to, this new film, is it going to be good, bad, or to be determined? (laughs) Star Wars is kind of one of those unique, I guess you could say, sagas or series that the properties that it carries in terms of fan base and how it's made and who's behind it is very different than something that's a little bit more consecutive because it's spread out over, you know, the span of, you know, we're talking 1976, that it had its own fan base. George Lucas had his own, you know, he had his take on what he wanted to do with it. And really the first Star Wars, it was not really called episode four. That's not how it started. He actually just created the idea and didn't even, didn't really think about if this thing became a sequel until after it kind of struck gold and then he started to kind of look at it and say okay let's map it out but but then 30 years later there's a reboot and there's another trilogy that's part of the same cloth i guess but you have completely different takes on it you have you know a lot of jaded star wars fans who are like this is not the star wars i remember (laughs) um and it actually yeah and and it got to a point where i you know one of the reasons why lucas even claims he left and basically sold it to Disney was he kind of lost control over what he thought was his own creative vision because the world had kind of owned it at this point and they were telling him you shouldn't have done this and you should have done that so I think you know him kind of surrendering the reins to J.J. Abrams and Disney is probably just going to feel different in my opinion I know J.J. Abrams one of his goals was to try to really make it feel like the Star Wars that inspired him when he was young. I think he saw Star Wars when he was like 11 or something. And so there's a little bit of hope, I guess, for some of the older Star Wars fans that, wow, we may get to see that same texture and style that, that we remembered it as. It's strange. If you talk to Star Wars fans, you'll you know, you know you'll have very strong opinions. You won't find people that say, oh, I like all six. Well, you you mentioned Disney taking over, and I think that's the you know that's the issue that we wanted to discuss with you about because here we have Quentin Tarantino, who is a very well known director, going off on Howard Stern yesterday about Disney. I, I don't even understand this this whole feud. Do you, Matt? I was hoping we our, our our guests would be able to fill us in on this because I don't really understand this theater. I mean, I guess it's something that is really great about this, and I don't remember the name of it. The Arc, yeah, Arc Light Cinemas. 
I don't even think it's cinemas nationwide. I think it's like either one cinema or it's the Cinerama Dome or, or what have you. So, Idris, you heard about all this, right? Yeah, I saw the article yesterday and um, I, I kind of read, the, I guess, the transcript from the show. And then I, I didn't see the video of it until today. But I think Tarantino as a filmmaker is a very... It's kind of dealing with something very different as more of an artist, or I, I would say more of a, there's a term, oh. auteur. Right, sorry to interrupt. I, let me explain exactly what happened to I mean, on, on that show. So basically, Tarantino was complaining about Disney because apparently Disney went to the owners of Arclight Cinemas and basically said, we want our film, Star Wars, to be shown in this particular theater instead of Quentin Tarantino's film, The Hateful Eight. And... And apparently, Tarantino has a contract with Arclight Cinemas, but Disney, like, I don't care. Either you play our Star Wars or, and this is by this 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 whole story. I I don't think Disney's actually responded in public yet. But according to Tarantino, Disney made it very clear that if Arclight doesn't play the Star Wars in this theater, then you're not going to be able to play Star Wars in any of your theaters. The literally the biggest blockbuster or biggest movie of, I don't know about the year, but at least of the holiday season. It'll be the biggest of the, the year for sure. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I haven't decided if I'm going to see it yet and if I see it, <laughs> but yeah. So, okay. So, so Adris, back to you almost in film, film way. What are your thoughts? There's kind of a, a line in, drawn in the, I guess, in the diagram between filmmakers and, and what industry is as opposed to people that are creating it as an extension of who they are. And I think Tarantino is, is definitely more of a classical artist in, in terms of he's, he wants to get his work out and he's a small guy. He works with the Weinstein brothers. They, they, they finance, you know, very modest budgets for him. But there's a niche fan base for him. So for him, he doesn't have the luxury or the, I guess you could say, you know, he's not Disney. And, and I think Disney is, you know, there's an 800-pound gorilla in the room. So for them, their gears are turning differently. I mean, for them to go and do something like knock out, you know, the, the Cinerama Dome showing, which he made in 70 millimeter, which 70 millimeter is, is, you know, you have to be very intimately involved with the film process to appreciate 70 millimeter. In a nutshell, the classical films are 35 millimeter. And, you know, there was a concept of doubling the resolution and, and the picture quality, and it was called 65 millimeter, but eventually they just named it 70 millimeter because they added six kind of audio tracks to it. So it was basically, just think of it as like high definition, standard film. And a lot of people, they couldn't afford it. Cinema houses were not really able to show it. The projectors couldn't, you know, they couldn't really finance projectors like that. And very few films were made in 70 millimeter. Lawrence of Arabia, My Fair Lady, Sound of Music, you know, just, I can't really think of any more. But, you know, he, at a time where film, as opposed to digital, is dying, very few filmmakers are still trying to cling on to that. Steven Spielberg being one, Christopher Nolan continued to use it in the Dark Knight trilogy. But so for him, the Cinerama Dome, they were one of the first people to have 70 millimeter projectors. And, and from my understanding of the Cinerama Dome, it's a, kind of a curved screen. And so it's not just one projector. They actually, because if you curve a screen and you skew it, you're, you're going to get a stretched Picture. So they actually have three projectors simultaneously playing it in 70 millimeters. So it's a very powerful way to do it. 
but for him to film it in 70 millimeters is incredibly expensive, and that's very that's a very artistic risk. And so having a contract probably in place prior to probably even filming it that way to make sure, I think he even said in the titles in the beginning of the film, it says Cinerama. So like, you know, it's just such a different artistic touch and he's dealing with a completely different machine, which is, you know, Disney and, and they have that kind of weight to just, uh, you know, knock him out because for them, they're just, you know, Hey, that's big cinema. People are, is there, you know, is there going to be a lot of people who can fit more seats? Can we sell tickets? Yeah, let's threaten them or whatever, extort them and, you know, get get that for our own venue or for our own picture. Okay, so it's coming a little bit more understanding now as to why Tarantino is so upset. So, Matt, okay, so here we have a contract with, assuming that assuming everything's true, what Quentin Tarantino is saying. You have a contract between him or his production company or a production company and Arclight Cinemas, and then Disney, who's not a party to this contract, comes in and basically extorts the hell out of this cinema to basically breach their contract. Now, I don't even know if they've actually made this final decision. It seems like the end of the Howard Stern show, there was still, it was still more recent news. But uh, what are you thinking? I'm sure we're thinking the same thing. I bet we're not because <laughs> uh, from, what I've, from what I just saw, apparently Disney secured this Cinemarama Dome or whatever it's called months ago and Tarantino only recently learned about this, and that's why he started uh. voicing his displeasure with this. And I guess he owns owns and programs the New Beverly Cinema, which, Idris, maybe you can confirm this, I don't know, but it looks like it might be a rival of, or a competitor of this other uh, place that's at issue now. So, okay, well, that's a, and, you know, this is so classic, by the way, and it reminds me of, you know, it's, when a client, as an attorney, when a client comes to your door, whatever story that client tells you, that is literally the best case scenario of how it happened. Because from then on, the story gets de- you know derailed and degraded from then on, because then you start interviewing witnesses, you get the other side of the story, and so who knows. But le- I-, I like the idea of just assuming <laughs> that Disney is, Disney is completely wrong on this, because it makes me feel a little happy. I mean, di- we all know Disney is really aggressive in their business tactics, and they, they seem to be this like kid-friendly company, but we know that they're not. But yeah. the first thing I was thinking about is whether or not there's an interference of contract, and and if there's a valid contract, and that's of course at question here, and Disney had knowledge that this contract existed between these two parties, and intentionally, and, and, and the key word here is also improperly, caused the breach or the interference of those contractual relationships, then literally Disney can be held liable in the same way that the cinema could by Quentin Tarantino. But again, I don't know if that would matter to Disney in that case, but I guess what you're saying may change change everything, right? Yeah, but assuming that your hypothetical is the the correct one, I mean, you're right, and you know, oftentimes it gets brought up, and who's to say how much is really at stake here? But I would say this is a pretty well. I guess maybe not. How much does that theater hold? You know, maybe it's really not that much. I have no idea about the actual specifics of the theater. I was thinking just there'd be a lot of money involved in this, but if we're only talking about one specific theater that could be limited, then, you know, maybe it's not that big a deal. Well, Dries, I mean, do you think, I mean, do you think this is really, this isn't really about the money for Tarantino, is it? No, not at all. I, I think Tarantino's niche fan base, you know, 
he he functions well within his niche. He he I don't think he's ever tried to kind of go beyond that and get into the mainstream cinema. I mean, he's not. I think he he refused even being in the the directors guild, the DGA, which is a prerequisite to be in any major studio production. So he 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 reserved the right to be very eccentric and to just work with small studios. But here, I think, yeah, for him, he's looking at it from a. I mean, as if 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 you're a filmmaker or you're you're someone. I mean, you don't even necessarily have to be a filmmaker, but. When you're trying to show something, you're not just thinking of the film itself. You're thinking of it all the way until it gets to the viewer. I mean, I can tell you, I have, I'm a little notorious even from my friends <laughs> to, you know, when they're watching a film with me that I want them to really appreciate. And it's, it's not even my own film. You know, I'm so cautious of making sure that they get the perfect representation of what I had <laughs> intended or what I wanted for them. And so... I mean, it gets even more extreme when you're when you're making the film and you have this idea of it. I mean, oftentimes uh, you'll always see like an artist, whether it's a a musician or a singer. Uh, and if you've ever been to you know any kind of venue where there's someone independently performing and there's some technical issue or the speakers aren't getting the crowd or whatever, there's incredible amount of anger that's usually not understood by you know people who are like, hey, it's just a song or hey, it's it's just another movie. Because they're, you know, for them, it's just it, they had this vision of how this was going to be presented. So I can definitely see he sees it more that way. I, I wouldn't think it's because of money. Yeah, I mean, and if you want, if and we'll link the YouTube video. Make sure we do that, Matt, because you, I mean, Quentin Tarantino is uh, visually upset, like emotionally upset about this, and and compare that to Disney with literally they have. I mean, Disney has licensed Star Wars to death. And uh, licensing deals, we've talked about licensing all the time. And licensing is a great way to make money. That's how Trump does his basically, you know, infamous now uh, uh, golf courses and buildings across the world. He stamps his Trump logo on there and doesn't even have to actually build anymore. Same way, Disney has licensed, you know, you go in the grocery store. I literally saw a picture of a bag of oranges that was labeled with Star Wars logos all over it. A bag of oranges. And I, which is ridiculous, but uh, put that against Tarantino any day, and obviously there's a big differences on the approach of of film. Well, I, I mean, I think I know what this is. It's just he's going. I don't know the numbers, but I think Howard Stern's show is one of, if not the most popular show, and he just signed a five year uh, re up, I think. But uh, it's just publicity for his movie that's competing against Star Wars. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But at the same time, like I don't even think it's in that many theaters. So like I don't even think I can go th- if I wanted to go right now, I wouldn't even know where to see it. If my uh, if my understanding is correct, but Yeah, I I wouldn't think that, you know, the film is is a is really a, in the same target audience as Star Wars. You know, Tarantino's films if anyone has seen any of the Kill Bills or <clears throat> Pulp Fiction, you know they're 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 pretty explicit films, and you know I think I don't I don't really think Quentin even himself probably sees his film as as a competitor to Star Wars. I think he's fully aware that you know all the families, the kids from you know ages five to grandparents are going to be buying tickets, and he he understands the power that I think he mentioned it even in the show that they have the biggest film ever. They have everything that they could want commercially. So you know. Why, <laughs> I mean, like you said, I think you're right. I mean, that that's based off the facts that 
I've only seen one side of the story, but you're right. I mean, uh, there's something else going on. So, Idris, you, you mentioned the way the the cinema is set up with three different projectors. You, you think it's a situation where his, I mean, he purposely made this movie this way with the 70 millimeters, and it needs to be shown in a theater like this to to actually get full appreciation for. Is that something that could be the case? I think so. I think he's, I mean, as a film student, you, you study Tarantino, you read his interviews. You know, he's a big fan of spaghetti westerns and very classical movies. Actually, he, after Django Unchained, he said in a big director's gathering with like, you know, I forgot how, it was all the Oscar-nominated directors for, I think it was 2013, I believe. And so he, he told everyone that um, he's quitting film. And they said, why? Why would you do that? And he said, because honestly, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I understood film as a very classical technology. And that's, that's what cinema is. I don't understand this digital age. So, you know, he's, he's very opinionated. And they told him, you know, we hope we don't see you end, you know, and he's just like, no, I didn't sign up for this. You know, this whole 4k and all this stuff. He's like, film has a, such a, nostalgic texture that we all understand and this is this he's he's not your typical he's not your typical filmmaker trying to make it he's very nuanced and so I think this kind of definitely would be something that would just probably have caused you know sleepless nights and and be very very upset so that's my reading off of off of Tarantino well I I think I can solve the uh, dispute right here and now between the three of us by asking one simple question we'll be the judge Uh, I'll start with Idris if you had to watch one movie, would you watch the new Star Wars or the new Tarantino film? Wow, that's tough. <laughs> if I had to choose one film, it would probably be the Tarantino film. Wow, that's interesting. But here's the funny thing. I'm, okay. watching, I'm watching Star Wars in one hour. I'm literally... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not asking you to actually do it. Yeah, okay. Matt, what about you? Uh, I mean, I, I'd probably just go Star Wars just because... Well, yeah, you're a sellout. No, I think just because <laughs> more people are going to see it and I'll uh, have something to talk about with them. I don't know. You're a social butterfly. The people that appreciate the movies that come out are limited. I, I can't speak to this at, on the same level they can. Like Idris, he'd be talking about certain things and I just watch movies for entertainment. I can't I can't see all the different things that he sees. It's like, you know, you and I, Nasser, you and I watching like a basketball game and I notice the pickup on these things that you don't. <laughs> oh man, that's a, that's a low blow. Well, let me answer the my own question. I mean, I, I'd watch Star Wars. I mean, I'm a sellout, so that's easy for me. But I do like Quentin Tarantino's films though. So so I think that's uh, two to one, Idris. So you're, you're allowed to watch uh, Star Wars tonight. And <laughs> Sounds good. Which Star Wars character are you dressed in tonight? You know, I'm I'm probably the only guy that's not going to be wearing a costume. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we may have to bring you back for the actual actual review of what happens tonight and give us an update. But thanks for joining us, though. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you. All right, thanks for joining us, everyone. Yeah, keep it sound, keep it smart, and we will see you in 20... Well, you will hear us in 2016. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. 
No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.